And we are back. Happy 2024. We're so glad for you guys to be joining us on our first episode back of Commonwealth Ground. Hope you guys had a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. And we are very excited. Uh, today is, you know, Monday. We are going to be going back to session for Jackie, going back to covering it for myself. Um, so definitely lots to talk about since our last episode. And we are excited to give you guys the rundown and everything that we're thinking about, you know, what we're seeing covered in the mainstream media, what we're not seeing covered in the mainstream media about some news. Um, and if you're new here, my name is Victoria Churchill. I'm one of your co-hosts of Commonwealth Ground. And I'm Jackie Gary. Happy New Year and happy first week of session. Well, so Jackie, let's just get right into it. What do you think are some of the biggest things that we are hearing um, since our last episode, you know, mid-December, we've obviously taken a couple of weeks off for the holiday. Um, I think we saw some big news come through, especially for our yeah. region here in Northern <laughs> Virginia. I was really sad. I, memory serves, I think it was like a day or two after our last episode dropped and I was like, oh no, we're going to have to wait three weeks to talk about it. Um, so there's, I think, like two and a half things to talk about. One is just some like fun things personally, professionally within my own office and then the other two to really spend some time talking about. But for me, um, one of the big things is that my uh, boss, Delegate Carrie Delaney, was named uh, chairwoman of the House Transportation Committee. So we're very excited about that. And I also bring that up because it really ties in to uh, a big part of, I think, our first topic for the week, which is the proposed uh, arena, multi-sport entertainment arena proposed by Governor Youngkin and the city of Alexandria for Potomac Yards. Um, and so I think that's kind of the biggest thing to start with. So uh, what have you heard about the arena uh, so far? Yeah, so, you know, I think this is interesting that we're going to dive into it right off the bat here, because I think when it was first announced, it was really kind of presented as a done deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you and I both know, that's not the case. And so I think that's one of the things that we want to do today is really shed some light on that, um, you know, kind of you get into the legislative nitty gritty of what this actually looks like going forward now that this proposal exists. And, you know, again, I think that this was misconstrued. Uh, both by the way that it was announced, but also kind of some of the initial public feedback that people thought, you know, they really were blindsided. There was going to be no public comment on it. And as you and I both know, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think we heard the announcement about December 13th. I think it was quite around that time. Um, and so it was announced they had a big uh, thing in Potomac Yards, I think around the metro station with the governor, with um, Mayor Justin Wilson of Alexandria, a bunch of uh, city council members, delegates, senators um, to announce this project. And um, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, for the general public, it feels like a done deal. But this and like, you know, there's I've heard personally within Alexandria some consternation about, you know, the lack of transparency. But um, this is actually a really normal process for this kind of economic development, because just like for two seconds, just think about if Governor Youngkin and Mayor Wilson had got up on a platform together on December 13th and just said, hey, guys, we're uh, thinking about putting an arena here. And then you're like, well, where and who's 
paying for it? And like, how much traffic are you expecting? And they're like, eh, I don't know, we'll figure it out later. That would have caused so much more chaos, right? Like, so it's, it's quite common for a lot of these finer points to be negotiated behind the scenes so that you can present a full and realized plan to the public. But that doesn't also mean, especially for this kind of thing, that it's a done deal, right? There are votes that are going to happen in the General Assembly and at the City Council. Um, there's probably going to be months of like public, at least in Alexandria, like months of public hearings and town halls and feedback sessions and votes, like um, where people are going to show up and, and say their piece either way. So um, I don't think, you know, it's definitely not a done deal. Um, it still might not happen. You saw the same kind of thing happen with the Commander Stadium back in 2022, where there was that whole big rollout and announcement, and then it never happened because the bill never passed, right? Because mm -hmm. there was public comment and feedback, right? Um, and so I think, I, like, I understand why people are having feelings about it. I think the one thing that I would want to say every, to everybody is to, like, just take, like, a hot step back and keep an open mind and hear about all the details and then make up your mind whether you like it or not. Um, I think either position to be quite honest is valid. Like, I don't know personally how I feel about it yet. Um, but like, that's the biggest thing about the rollout that I would um, kind of want people to hear at this point. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I definitely agree. As you mentioned, there's going to be a lot of time both in the General Assembly and in the city of Alexandria for people to make their voices heard and you know, for us both working in the political process, we really encourage you guys to get out there and Absolutely. make your voices heard because legislators want to hear from you and members of the community, I think, um, are definitely going to be talking about this. You know, that area has definitely been under development for a while. And so, you know, personally, I'm, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the best way of using that space, um, but I'm yeah. definitely open to hearing more about the plan and to learning more and to educating our audience more. Um, yeah. Do you, I guess, kind of what would you think the biggest uh, positives and maybe some potential drawbacks of the plan are from your perspective? Yeah, so I guess I'll start, well, I'll start with some like neutral stuff, uh, which is kind of what you said, like the area where this is going was always kind of zoned for commercial expansion. And so I think some of the problems and the drawbacks that we hear about this plan were maybe always going to be considerations like traffic and costs and who's paying for what. Like, I think those were kind of always going to be there. This is just like one proposed use for it. But it's not like this is an area that was going to, you know, I've heard, and especially with zoning for housing discussion wrapping up, which for the record, I'm a huge proponent for it. I love affordable housing. We should build more houses. Um, but this area was never going to be used to build houses. It wasn't zoned for residential. So I just also want to keep that in mind. Um, so I guess I'll start with, the obvious drawbacks, right? Um, it's like a huge stadium that's going to come to an area that already sees a lot of congestion. We have one metro station um, with like two escalators, really busy streets. Um, and I think there's concern about like how this thing is going to be paid for. Um, a lot of people don't, I think rightly so, don't want their tax dollars to be, to, to subsidize a project that uh, a billionaire is behind, right? Like somebody with his own funds to be able to support this up, uh, to, to support this. Um, and so I, I do think that those are, are really big concerns. Um, you know, there's also 
the idea that you know there's there's studies that suggest that stadiums aren't really that big of an economic draw um and there's also some people who are worried about what uh a stadium uh, moving the stadium out of dc will do to downtown dc um so i have some responses to some of those things <laughs> personally but love to hear like your thoughts on the drawbacks so far like what stands out to you is kind of being like the biggest areas of concern, especially because you live around, like you're, you live here in nine, ten, you, you know, you're going to be impacted by this as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, one of the biggest concerns that I don't hear talked about too much is what this is going to do to the airport. Oh wow, yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about the airport. Yeah. That's a good point because the airport is going to be like five minutes away. You know, it's one maybe two metro stops away from where this would be. Um, yeah, because I think there's a Crystal City station and then. Uh, I'm not as like memorized on the metro map as yeah. I used to be when I was like <laughs> in school and like working. It's been a while since I've had to keep it in my brain. Yeah, so so one maybe two. I believe it's two stops. Um, now that there is a metro stop there up Potomac Yard, yeah. uh, there's already development coming into the area. There's a Virginia Tech campus um, that is moving in. I think next year now 2025 i believe is when it starts uh it's going to be a graduate school campus yeah um, virginia tech yeah I think, yeah yeah virginia tech graduate school um so you know that's already going to bring uh more into that area um and then also the housing costs i mean you know the, i think this is something that you and yeah. i are both concerned about both living in the area both having to pay rent in the area um and i think you know these new apartments that are coming in people are paying almost three thousand dollars yeah um for an apartment as a studio right not even like yeah. a two bedroom that you can split with one other person um you know obviously with things like amazon there's people that can afford those but that also pushes out a lot of people that can't afford that and so right. i think um you know that was really one of the concerns with like 2022 and the stadium potentially in prince william county of nfl commanders move um was yeah. that property prices especially in that area but i think equally so in alexandria you know these are people that don't live in dc because they don't want to pay dc prices and so if you move dc things like amenities like a sports stadium out of yeah. dc it's going to bring dc prices to northern virginia and i think it's going to make it a lot less affordable um and then again with the airport you know i think that's really a big concern yeah um, I mean, I, honestly, I think people could be like parking at the airport and taking the metro down two stops, right? But then what's that going to do if you actually are flying and want to park at the right, airport? Right, right. No, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about the airport. Um, and yeah, to your point about housing, like I, that's one of been one of the big things I've heard. You know, the argument that I've heard in response is that, you know, Alexandria really needs um, ways to diversify its tax base. And um, I think about nine... I don't have the numbers in front of me and I don't exactly remember them. So totally welcome to being fact checked on this. But I believe only about 19% of the city's budget comes from commercial use. And so a big portion of the city's budget comes from um, property and real estate, uh, especially leveraged on the individual. So there is an argument that this could actually bring housing costs down hmm. um, because of the diversified tax base that this would bring in. Because you're not it's not just the stadium jobs, right? It's all of like the entertainment stuff yeah. and like the retail that will pop up around it um but I, I i do think it's one of those things like we're just not gonna know until it happens like which outcome yeah. right like there's you can do so much and they do try to do a lot to like project some of these things out but like stuff like that we're just i don't think gonna know what happens until it happens um until it's either successful or um or it fails so yeah so um 
I think on those points, like the drawbacks, I, I and, and like for what it's worth, I share a lot of those concerns. Like I said, I yeah. haven't, I haven't yeah, made I up my mind. This is one of those really like, interesting issues that you know, a yeah. space like this exists to discuss. That it's not really a red or blue issue. It's no, you know, it's I've feelings. It's community <laughs> members. There's opposition on both sides. There's yeah. support on both sides. Um, Oh, and then, you know, speaking of retail, uh, obviously that's what that space is used for right now. It's used for, you know, Target, TJ Maxx. So I've um, heard the Target, I'm pretty sure the Target and the Barnes and Noble are still going to be in that area in some form. Okay. Is what I've heard. There's because I know the picture, <laughs> it was drawn right off of Target, and right now it's the only metro accessible Target that's like yeah. halfway decent. That was a big concern that I heard from people <laughs> in Delray and Potomac Yards. Um, and so I don't know if it's that exact space that I'm okay. Currently so it might, like, but like down. it might like move you know three stores down it might okay. take up the office depot or whatever but it was still my understanding is that target and barnes and nobles are like confirmed to be there to be there in some form well, after the end of this say, project I mean, obviously those are like national um you know maybe even really like multinational yeah. corporations and so i was like if even they can't afford to rent there what does that say about people yeah. to no they will still yeah. they will still be able to rent there they will still have stores there um in some fashion so yeah. Um, no, that's, yeah. I mean, when I first moved to DC, 2017 was the first time I moved out here. Um, like the only target I could, you know, I didn't have a car. The only target I could get to living in Foggy Bottom was the one in Boston. And that one is like mm, a yeah. fifth of a target. Like it's not a real target. No. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, now with that metro station there, that's like literally the only metro accessible target. And when so many people around here don't have cars. I think yeah. you need something like that. So for sure. Um, so um, yeah. So that's the the drawbacks. Um, the positives, the things that I've been hearing. Um, you know, there's the obvious draw of creating thirty thousand new jobs. Um, personally, as a Democrat, one of the things I would want to know about those jobs is how many of those are union and how many of the. You know, I think making sure that these are well-paying jobs is going to be something that's incredibly important to this development. Um, I also think, um, like I said, diversifying the potential to diversify Alexandria's tax base. Um, and I'm going to say something maybe controversial, but it was something that I want to say to hopefully like reframe this conversation is I actually think this could be used to fix um, a lot of this area's transportation problems. Mm -hmm. um, like one of the realities that I think has been made like super clear about my time in Richmond and our time at Sorensen is that like, even bigger sometimes than Republican and Democratic divide in this state, there is like a regional divide. Mm -hmm. And for a very long time, like most of the state has like no incentive to get to help Northern Virginia with our mm -hmm. issues in any way, because there's this sense that like you guys are wealthy enough, you can take care of it. And so, you know, I personally from this administration have not seen any, um, political will to kind of address metro funding or to send money back up to this region to fix Route 1, to fix the George Washington Parkway. Um, and I actually think that this gives Northern the Northern Virginia delegation, which truthfully, of course, mostly Democrats, so is more of a partisan divide, but it, I, I think it still gives like the region some leverage with Richmond to get this funding that we so desperately need right um and that's kind of where i'm sitting right now like as somebody especially as someone whose boss is on the transportation committee <laughs> like um and not just on is like chairing the transportation committee like 
I think that this gives us leverage to get the things that we need for our region that we didn't have before. Um, and then there was no incentive to give us. And especially, uh, you know, looking at this funding cliff that Metro is about to hurdle off of, you know, if we structure this deal to meet, and not just meet, but provide a future stable funding stream for WMATA, um, and then we, you know, also get funding um, to, you know, for traffic calming and traffic and pedestrian safety on Route 1 and on the George Washington Parkway, I think that's a massive benefit. And so, um, you know, there's other factors, you know, that I'm considering the jobs, the who's paying for it that, you know, even if we got the Metro funding, you know, I don't think my mind would be fully made up, but it's definitely like would go a long way for me to personally be able to support it. Yeah. Well, I know actually the Biden administration has talked about, uh, you know, all the fees that come with tickets, but maybe we add on like a $3 metro fee to a ticket. I know I personally I know. get you know, very upset when you look <laughs> at a ticket price and it's like three times as much when you actually go to buy it. But, you know, I mean, as far as taxes go, yeah. really the only taxes I'm okay with leveraging are use taxes. Okay. Um, because again, I think the people that use the things should pay for them. And so I think yeah. if by going to these events, you are putting more strain on the Metro, you should contribute to funding the Metro, right? Yeah. Like, to me, that makes sense in my head. And so um, that's actually like a tax I would probably be okay with. You mean a tax on like the, the, the ticket. event ticket? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other thing I, that's actually sparked something that I wanted to add, you know, this deal versus the commanders, which I think is a benefit. Like this is a multi-sport and entertainment mm -hmm. thing. So like you could theoretically have stuff going on here 365 days yeah. a year versus an NFL stadium that's only going to use for like eight games, maybe a year. And so I actually just think there's um, the potential for a better return on investment, a better ROI on a stadium of this like build uh, yeah, uh, of this purpose. build yeah. versus the commander's one. I was a pretty staunch, you know, so I just want to like clarify with people who know I was a pretty staunch opponent to the, the commander's one. And like, th that's one of the reasons, like I'm a little more willing to consider this deal than I was that one as yeah, well. One. Um, and so, yeah, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't Yeah. If it's like a $3 thing, I don't think I necessarily <laughs> disagree with that, especially like if it's going to turn around to be used, you know, to make sure the metro stays open late Later, to get people yeah. home um, and, and run more frequently on the weekends and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Do you see any positives in this, like, as you're, con as you're considering the deal? <laughs> I don't know, I think about it. I mean, honestly, I was, like, pretty against it um, when I heard about it. So, yeah. This, this is actually interesting because the very first thing that got me very involved in politics when I was living in Northern California um, was when the 49 49er Stadium moved out of San Francisco to into, uh, that was the no. Raiders. Wait. Oh, yeah. You said yeah, 49ers. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. 49ers. Um, this was like 2014, I guess. Now? Wow. Yeah. It's like forever ago. Yeah. 2014, 2015. That's a decade um, ago now. This was happening. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's crazy. <laughs> Um, yeah, so when I was in high school, uh, the 49ers stadium was in downtown San Francisco. It moved to the South Bay. So it moved okay. like really like a mirror situation of like it was right down in the middle of the big city, moved to the suburbs. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of issues there. I mean, basically, the 
thing that got me first involved was one of my teachers ran for city council after oh, one of cool. the uh after basically the 49ers they like bought out the entire city council to let them do Damn. the deal um and so she ran on like an anti-corruption like platform um yeah. that you know basically like these the city council members didn't have the best interests of the community at heart um and so i mean I don't know, it benefited, like, in that case, it benefited people that, for example, were, like, selling their driveways for parking, <laughs> so I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the housing solution, you just, <laughs> you just sell your driveway and pay your mortgage off, you know, if stadium parking's, like, Perhaps. God, I don't know, ridiculous, it's, like, I mean, some places on the West Coast, it's, like, 60 or $80 to, yeah. like, park for an event, so. I think if we can do that, oh, the other thing I should mention about the transit, like, I think that would need to be done is, like, bus rapid transit routes like it mm-hmm. can't just be like driving and metro like yeah, the train think, what really are the the bus routes down there because i i mainly take them kind of there's west. A few, yeah there's a few dash routes that go like north and south that i've used like coming from that target um but like instituting bus rapid transit up and down i think route one would kind of be pretty essential um on this um which you know, I, I will say the city has taken some steps to to to, to move towards on Route One, but also just generally across the city, um, you know, Duke Street in motion. Um, but then you know, also creating, you know, I mean, a lot of traffic will be generated by people walking. Like it'll be very walkable for mm-hmm. a lot of people to come to, um, you know. But for, for for pedestrians and for biking as well, I think if this type of deal were to go through, it would really need to be an all hands on deck multimodal approach to get people in and out of the stadium yeah the the walking bit is interesting i've gone to you know a couple events um at the the stadium in lansdale maryland and Mm -hmm. you know if you get out uh from there it's basically like you're right up against somebody trying to get you know it's about a mile walk from the stadium to the metro so obviously this would kind of be across the street so maybe you wouldn't really have that like mass uh, I've had had some friends who are like, oh, this would make my commute to work awful. But when I get home, I get to walk right to the stadium. So <laughs> like, but hey, like, yeah, what's the trade-off there? So, um, so yeah, it, it'll be very interesting. I don't think we've seen the legislation filed in the General Assembly for it yet. So oh. um, I'm not sure who will be carrying that. Yeah, I was going to say that'll um, probably affect like, yeah, how it's perceived and uh, exactly. what happens with it. Um, but I'm, I'm sure this will be, and, and I will say, like, we should also say, like, these are kind of drawbacks that I've been talking about regionally, but like, um, Senator Louise Lucas, who is the chairwoman of Senate finance has also said, like, you know, we're not using state dollars on this unless we, you know, without seeing, uh, you know, uh, school funding, you know, school uh, education funding, or toll relief in the Hampton Roads. So it's I was not gonna going say, to come uh, down. What's this kind of Northern Virginia priorities. What does that look like with Louise Lucas being from Hampton Roads and yeah. wanting to prioritize her own transportation needs for her own region? I think we talked about this at an earlier episode. Yeah. Kind of what does this new balance of the General Assembly look like? Again, when we talk about things like regionalism. Yeah. I mean, personally, when I talk to people who are concerned about, like, the Democratic Party has moved away from the power center in Northern Virginia, um, not to get, I know this is, like, maybe antithetical to our podcast here, getting a little partisan, but I said, you know, you know who who is not going to give Northern Virginia anything? It's Republicans. <laughs> so we're still going to get stuff uh, when we have Democrats in, in office. But, you know, I, I don't think a, re- a more a regional shift and a regional perspective is a bad thing. Um, 
you know, but it, it, it is to say that in instances like this, like the governor is going to have his hands full trying to find a compromise. Mm -hmm. if, he, if he is serious about getting this done, he is going to have to find a lot of compromise with a lot of different competing interests mm -hmm. here. Um, and so I, I think this is going to be, I mean, it's always tough to say like what the biggest thing that comes before the General Assembly every year. And nine times out of 10, it's not anything that you would actually even expect. Um, but I, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that this is going to be um, the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest topic on our docket this year. Um, and we'll really, I think, showcase, um, you know, the governor's political acumen. I think we'll get to see it on full display. Um, so we'll we'll see how it how it turns out. But I'm excited um, to get into it and to be part of those discussions, especially as an Alexandrian. As an Alexandrian and being involved in transportation, you're going to be involved. In I know. <laughs> I know. I'm looking forward to it. So. Um, I think, and then, so I think the other big thing that has really happened, there's so much that has happened, like, since we last talked, but I, I, I think we would um, bore our listeners if we talked about all of them. So I think the other biggest um, piece was on December 20th, the announcement of the governor's budget. So um, for those listening who might not be familiar, so um, Virginia is on a, a biennium budget schedule. So we pass the budget every two years. This year is the kind of the fun distinction of what we call um, the governor's legacy budget. So this is the only budget that Governor Youngkin in his four year, you know, non-consecutive term will see from start to finish. So uh, the last time we did the budget in 2022, we're working off of Governor Northam's proposed budget. And then, of course, uh, for the 2026 session, Governor Youngkin will propose a budget, but he will not be in office to see its finalization. So this is this is the legacy year. This is the one he gets his hands on all the way through and really gets to make his mark. Um, so I know it's like right before the holidays and you were actually out of the country visiting your in-laws. So did you get a chance to like see a, a lot of the announcement or like what's in it? I saw in? a little bit on it, but if you want to fill me in, feel free. Yeah. So there's a lot in there, of course. I think the biggest things that were in there that kind of everybody is talking about, um, is the tax proposals. Um, so Governor Youngkin kicked off his announcement by uh, proposing a 12% reduction in all income taxes and then uh, to kind of make up the funding for that, the loss of that, uh, increase the sales tax. Mm -hmm. um, it's not in his budget, but he would also like to get rid of the car tax, yes. um, which again would be supplemented by an, yet another increase in allowing localities to increase their sales taxes. Um, so I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I want to hear from you. What do you think? You know, where, where's your head at? Yeah, uh, I mean, hearing that for the first time, I think income is probably, I think property taxes are the worst taxes. And I think income taxes are second to that. That's kind of how I think about it. Why? Well, for property taxes, I think when you own something, having to pay basically a portion of it back to the government every single year, I think that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But income taxes prevent you from accumulating property. At least that's how I look at it, right? Like, especially at a time in our lives like this, where, you know, we're young and we maybe want to save for a house, right? That's dollars that come in post-tax. And so mm -hmm. that's post-income tax. And so you can't even get to paying property taxes on a lot of things until your income is 
elevated. I don't think we've ever talked about this before, but like for me personally, I don't see my income tax as like my barrier to like growing wealth. I see I, my debt is like I have a lot of student debt mm. um, and I see that. And especially like now I've done a lot of things to like refinance and I'm like for my public ones, I'm on like the income driven based things. But like I, I tell like people, you know, when I kind of get into debates and discussions about um you know paying off student debt or whatever it's like um before i did all of like the smart money stuff um between my private and public they wanted me to pay like eight nine hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. um between my two my two loans and this was like when i was six months out of college making thirty five thousand dollars a year like and that's wild like that's almost another rent payment it was at the time another rent payment on top of what i was paying of course rent has gone up since then and like whatever but like that was another rent payment on top so like for me my my inability to grow well is not attached to income taxes it's attached to my debt and paying off debt but do you see in like your life like the it's, i think it's i don't know do you have yeah. we never talked about it. do you have student debt I have a little bit. I basically took advantage of the pause to pay down a lot of it interest-free. Yeah. So I should hopefully be done in the next couple months. I'm actually oh, trying nice. to do it before my birthday. Oh, um, that's so, so fun. That's coming up in March. So hopefully uh, update in mid-March. I'm paying <laughs> off all my stuff. I'm going into my 27th year of life student loan debt-free. That's kind of my goal. Holy crap. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. No, that's that's my goal. Um, so like I said, we'll see what happens. But um yeah, so I do have some. Uh, I, you know, I was an athlete in college, which definitely helped mm. a lot. So my payments were about a third, my scholarship, a third, my parents, and a third loans. So that's kind of how okay. my breakdown was. Um, so I didn't necessarily pick the cheapest place to go to college, but yeah, and yeah. I, I like I take on some responsibility for that. I went to a small private Catholic school here in uh, Marymount University, right here in Arlington. So, like, I, I totally take, like, responsibility for my student loan yeah. debt. But, like, if we're talking about my ability to, like, save and um, grow, I, I really find this the de- the student debt to be more of, the, more of the thing than my taxes. Because, like, the way I look at it, like, with taxes, especially, like, with direct deposit, like, I don't feel my taxes very much. Because, like, I don't, you don't, it's like a psychology thing, right? Like, yeah. I feel like it was easier for me personally to get like mad about like what I pay in taxes when I was getting like a check stub mm. with like your deductions all laid out in front of you. Whereas now it just let money just lands into my account, my bank twice a month. And as long as it's like the number that it looks like it should look like, it's cool. And I live it right. Versus like, at least for an income tax. And so like where I'm coming out with this budget proposal, I see this like proposed sales tax increase is super regressive and like worse because like I don't see my income tax, but I see my groceries tax, going yeah. up, right? Like I see I see the price going up at the grocery store. And so I think sales tax is a worse tax than income tax personally. Well, so if you now I'm just playing devil's advocate no, here, do it, but do it, if, do it. if uh, That's the whole point. Right, exactly. So you know <laughs> if your income taxes were less, wouldn't you have more money to put towards your student loans and um kind not of... like at the rates that we're paying though like the answer is not really like you might get i might get like and i think the numbers were done on this um and i don't i i don't have them memorized but you know with this proposed income tax 
proposal, you, like take the median earner in Loudoun County, which is like six figures, mm -hmm. um, would see a reduction of, I believe, a, several, a couple thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. But the median earner in, I'm trying to remember which county was used as, I think it was Wise County, which is like thirty dollars or $40,000, it's, it might have actually been an increase. But if at most, if it was a reduction, it might have only been like $30 or $40 back a year. Mm. That's not doing anything to help me yeah. pay down my student debt. That's like a nice dinner. That's like one nice dinner yeah. through the entire year, right? Um, and so I think, I think if if you're getting up there but like to this point you know i i see this reduction in this proposed reduction in income taxes which i want to clarify we need we do need ta income tax reform in virginia i'm not proposing to leave our income taxes the same and we can get into what i think would be better but this current proposal to reduce income taxes like it's really the benefits are just going to be seen by the people with more versus the people who need it. And then it's going to, and then, you know, and then to stack the sales tax on top of that, like it's really going to hit lower earners um, in my view. And I, you know, I don't know how this proposal gets through to be quite honest, because I, I think the, the speaker designee kind of made a funny joke in this proposal. I, I'm not sure what Republican is going to carry the legislation for that sales tax increase. Hmm. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, when you look at it, that for for Yunkin to have this proposal, but to kind of leave it up to the localities, I think is interesting because when we got our kind of Yunkin tax rebates back, like my joke was like, thanks, but like Senate I'm actually, Democrats. But like, I'm, actually <laughs> I'm giving that money back to Arlington County yeah. uh, in property taxes. And so, yeah. I think you make a very fair point to where it's it's actually going to have a net zero impact. Right. And that's the thing because it's like, like nobody, I'm not, when I say all of this is about income tax, I'm like, nobody likes paying an income yes. tax. I'm not saying I love it, but we do use it for things, right? And especially like in Virginia where localities can't leverage an income tax, um, which is why we have the car tax, right? Um like, and those go to pay for things. Like in Alexandria, they pay for the bus so mm -hmm. that I can get on, you know, I can just like hop on the bus whenever. Like we don't, the bus doesn't cost anything in mm -hmm. Alexandria, which is mm -hmm. awesome. That our, our, our local, our city bus the system, bus. the dash yeah. buses, um, you know, it pays for the really nice park that's kept across the, you know, that's kept up across the street from my apartment complex, which is also um, the site of, it's, it's, um, site of a fort from the mm. Civil War. So it's like a historical site. So it pays for that upkeep. Um, and it, you know, gives me a really nice place to take walks um, around. It pays- So talking about kind of seeing the taxes and seeing the impact, do you feel like you've seen- Right, it's paying for this giant tunnel that's being burrowed underneath the city to, you know, get our storm, you know, fix our sewer system, right? Like there are tangible things that a i see in my community which i'm very i understand that like that's not the same everywhere you go but like if we were just to do the income tax cuts like it would be a huge net loss to a lot of things and a lot of ways people run and like we talked about in our last episode or one of our last episodes about school funding like schools would be really hit by this and so you if you want to avoid those things you have to make up for it elsewhere. 
And so it's like, what are we actually doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sales, it's also just like so volatile, like just doing sales tax because it depends on when people, like people's spending habits versus mm-hmm. aside from things like the pandemic and like millions of people being laid off and losing their jobs, like payroll taxes are generally like a pretty stable revenue mm-hmm. stream, right? Whereas sales taxes, if we go into a recession and people stop buying things, mm-hmm then you see your revenues like drastically decrease and we'd have to see a huge cut to um spending and i know that for some people that might be a great thing but um i do think that a lot of necessary services would get hit so that's why that's my perspective so in your perfect world because i want to talk about i i alluded to this (laughs) what i would want is to fix the the how i would want to fix the tax system but like what in your what what would a perfect tax system uh look like in virginia for you i mean it's not popular even among a lot of republicans but i actually really do agree with the idea of the flat tax so i think if you're putting in hours and you're working you know if you're putting in the same amount of hours to make forty thousand dollars or four hundred thousand dollars that's still you know right like the way that you earn money is you trade time of your life to make money and so I don't think it should be penalized at different levels. Um, and then again, you know, we've talked about, for example, like if there's an income disparity between partners, um, I don't know if it was on the podcast or if it was kind of offline conversation that we had. Um, I think that, you know, again, for example, like if a mom takes, you know, five or 10 years out of the workforce and then she goes back to work and her husband is making, you know, two or three times as much as she is, she's getting taxed at his tax rate. That means it's a lot i think it's pretty destructive to have women in the workforce if they're in a situation like that because they're gonna you know turn up again maybe they go out and they work the same amount of hours as their husband but they're keeping you know 20 percent, 30 percent less of their paycheck um and so i think a flat tax is a way to remedy that and i also think it's a way to encourage people to work across the board because i think um you know again when you talk about things like a benefits cliff right if people are in public services and they want to get off, they kind of see their their efforts. They're like, why am I putting an effort if I'm going to make so much less money? I'm going to have so much less disposable income at the end of the day. And so I think it really applies to people across all levels of the political, or sorry, of the income spectrum. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's probably the most, equi- you know, you like if you want to talk about equity, I think that's one of the most equitable ways to approach taxation is actually a flat tax. I think that's, it won't shock you to hear that I think that the complete opposite is how you achieve <laughs> actual equity, right? Um, so, no, I mean, so like we definitely need um, income tax reform in Virginia. Like, I will not argue that point. Um, I think our structure is actually pretty sound. Like we have, uh, similar to the federal government, we have a pretty progressive tax structure. The problem is, is our brackets are so low that they're laughable. Mm. Do you know that top income bracket in the state of the Commonwealth of Virginia starts at um, $25,000? Mm-hmm. So with the standard deduction, it actually hits at about around 17. So everybody making $17,000, which you just said is, you know, you prefer a flat tax rate. I think it's nuts. But um, it's paying the same rate, everybody from 17000 all the way up to millionaires. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, as a matter of like what people are bringing home, that's obviously going to hit. The people at seventeen thousand dollars, and you know, or people like our teachers and police officers and firefighters, a lot harder than like 
the tech bros who are making, you know, hundreds of thousands, of, which I don't despair them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, if you are in a position to make that money, that's great. I just think that you got to help, you know, to live in a society, you got to help pay it back. Mm-hmm. And you're in a much easier position to help that and still maintain a high quality of life versus people who make more. So I think we we need to add tax brackets actually and like just alleviate the tax burden on the low and middle income earners um, and do it that way. And I think that's the best thing to do there. So are you in favor of getting rid of the car tax? I know the answer to this. Oh yeah, I hate it. the car tax. <laughs> well, and again, because I think it's a one size fits all approach, which again, like in my situation, you know, I bought a car with 100,000 miles on it. I put 50,000 miles on it in a year working in politics and I paid more in property taxes, even though, you know, my car's value got cut probably. Really? Oh yeah. How did you end up paying? I mean, this is just maybe like a locality, but every year since I bought my car, my car tax bill has gone down. Mine's gone up and my husband's has gone up every year. Um, I'm Well, this so work. So used car prices. So I bought my car uh-huh. in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2021. Uh, I bought my car and that was, you know, right in the middle of COVID when used car prices were going up. And so I've actually paid more in taxes on my car, which is kind of how the reason I got rid of it about six months ago. Because I was like sitting there, it's just costing me money. It's costing me money in the payment. It's costing me money in the taxes. It's like basically every single time I go to leave my house, it's costing me like $100 because I work from home. And so, you know, if I only use it once a week on the weekends, it's no point to have it around. Um. So, you know, I mean, for people that want to get rid of all the cars, that's probably a win in their book. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Interesting. yeah, I, 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 that must be a difference between like Arlington and, and Alexandria, because okay. I, I mine has gone. I mean, that's hugely I think since I bought my car in 2019, it's maybe gone down a total of one hundred dollars, but mm. it's still gone down like so. And as my wages have increased, it's been easier to save for it mm-hmm. every year, which has been great. I don't know. I, again, I don't like paying the car tax. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to get a $400, $500 bill in the mail every October, especially because my birthday is in October. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't have want a birthday. This. But I will say, but yeah, and, like, yeah going... just like the way that they have it, it's like, here's this bill, even though yeah. it's from a year of taxes. Like, yeah. you know, what if they just it is weird. took it's... part of it every single month? So it's not like a $500 bill. I don't know that the localities even have the ability to do that out of our paychecks. Like, <laughs> Garnish your wages. Right. Um, but I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up there, right? Because yeah. pretty much all other taxes do come out of our paycheck every well, single month. Well, sales tax. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, but like that being said, like going back to our earlier conversation about like, we need to get the revenue from somewhere. Like, the so Virginia being a Dillon Rule state, I think we've talked about Dillon Rule on this podcast before, but just as a refresher, um, Dillon Rule means that the uh, localities all derive their state their power from the state, and so basically what that means is if the state doesn't say that you uh, can pass this ordinance, you can't do it. Um, and so the because of the Dillon Rule, the localities are not allowed to leverage an income tax, and so. Um, they have to make it up for it in property taxes or with a sales tax. And so, um, you know, going back to what we are talking about to maintain services, if we didn't have the car tax, either the sales tax would go up or we'd have to let localities leverage an income tax, which I don't have exact math on it, but at least me personally, probably going to end up paying more in a sales mm-hmm. tax or an income tax than my four or $500 bill mm. at the end of the year, right? 
So, and I get that everybody's not a parent. Clearly, everybody's not in that position yeah. to end up paying more per year. Um, you know, I don't. But it's not. It's not the worst way. I think. You know, it's not the worst way. I don't know. That's an unpopular and controversial statement. And I'm prepared uh, <laughs> to defend I'm, it. Valiantly. I'm prepared. I'm prepared for everyone to attack me when I get back down to Richmond <laughs> um, later. And so, uh, you know, I welcome that. You know, I, I think I've proven I can hold my own in a debate. So let's do it. <laughs> um, so I think we're kind of getting close to our yes, time. Yes, we are. So do we want to do our favorite Republicans and Democrats? Yes. Um, we... Before we do that, though, one oh, yeah. question. I know at the federal level, they're actually adjusting the tax brackets due to inflation. Oh, move. Yes. So I think, um, does that raise the question of whether we can do that here in Virginia or if that's maybe a spur of actually having a discussion about the income tax? I think that would be great to look at. I kind of like roll my eyes and huff a little bit because I do like, for me, inflation right now, is it inflation or is it price gouging? And I, you know, we can, let's talk about another time. Um, and so I kind of like roll my eyes a little bit, but like at the end of the day, <laughs> unless we do something about price gouging, people are paying the same. And so, um, yeah, I'm totally cool personally about looking into it. I don't know if that's, you know, between the stadium and this budget proposal, I don't know that that's on the table this year, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I personally think it's a worthwhile thing to look at. Um, but I also don't have access to our revenue projections, so I'm like, I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know how that changes things. So um, it's certainly worth looking at, I think. 